Well, we're so glad that you guys are with us today, and if this is your first time here, one of the things that we're doing here at Heights Christian Church is we're going through the Bible in five years' period of time, and how we're doing that is six days during the week, we read together as a congregation. You can get a schedule of that reading at the information desk. Uh, you can get it with a... Uh, um, notebook if you're a good note taker and stuff. We ask for a $10 donation for both or if you just want the reader, just a $3 donation. If you can't afford it, we'd rather you have it than not have it so you can follow along with us. Or you can follow along with us on our YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church. And there we do the, the same readings in a devotional style. Uh, about seven to ten minutes long each day. Maybe a little bit longer with longer passages as we're about to head into numbers next week. Um, but what we do is we have a little devotional that walks through all the scriptures that we did but help bring application to your life so you can, you can know what, how to apply the word of God to your life and walk through it. But we do that six days a week and then on the seventh day, on Sunday when we come together, our sermon is based in whole or in part on that part of the sermon. And today we are finishing the book of Hebrews in a sermon titled, The Discipline of Faith. That's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? The discipline of faith. We don't think of faith as a discipline, do we? We think of faith as simple belief, right? Belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the idea of discipline for our faith is a very important theme that we find in these last few chapters of Scripture. If we remember last week, there was um, chapter 10 and verse 32, there was an, an idea of what was happening to the Hebrew believers during that time. And it starts this way, remember the earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And so we're seeing a persecuted people right here. These are those who, when they first believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it wasn't understood by the, by the culture around them, by their friends, by the people that they're around, to the point that they were shunned, that they were mistreated, that they had their property confiscated and taken away from them. These last three chapters are in the light of all that because up until this point, a case is being made trying to say Jesus is better. All of this stuff that you're suffering for, Jesus is better. And so it's in that vein that we step into Hebrews chapter 11 where we begin to see what is known as the wall of faith. These are the people who have stood firm in their belief in God, in their promises of Christ Jesus that was given to them. And they stood firm through all of that. And it's supposed to instill confidence. And there's some interesting phraseology that we're going to be reading, because I'm going to be jumping around in chapters 11 and 12 especially, as, as we look at what's happening here. 
But one of my favorite movies, when we start talking about movies of faith, is a movie called Martin Luther Heretic. Jonathan Price plays Martin Luther. And this uh, film was released actually on the 500th birthday of Martin Luther as a commemoration, November 8th, 1983, as a commemoration of his uh, contribution to our understanding of faith in Jesus Christ, as we see the Reformation born by faith alone, through grace alone, not by works, lest any man can boast. And it traces the struggle of this young monk, Martin Luther, as he is teaching in the university other people concerning faith in Jesus Christ. And the Catholic Church at the time had a very works-based understanding of faith. And as a result of things, we had no comfort from Martin Luther, who was often tortured over the idea of being eternally condemned because he was never going to be good enough for God. And as things begin to break, as, as the, the movie progresses, he finally comes to this realization that it's by faith alone, through grace alone, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross that is sufficient for you and me as believers in Christ that things start breaking through and he begins to see the scriptures rightly. And as he's teaching in the class, there, there is this uproar. And it says, so what, what, what do we have? And, and the, the, the scene goes like this. So how are we saved? And he says, faith. And one of the students says, every German peasant has faith. Is heaven going to be filled with German peasants? He said, maybe. He said, and under the breath of the student, he says, it can't be that easy. And Martin Luther looks at the student and says, oh, you think faith is easy? And it switches to another scene. And this is really what we're talking about when we're talking about faith in Jesus Christ. Because we have oversimplified the idea of faith in such a way that I don't think Martin Luther in the Reformation would have agreed with. By faith alone, through grace alone, it is all the work of God. But I agree with the sentiment in the movie, oh, you think faith is easy. You got another thing coming. So what would you do if you're being encouraged by the writer of Hebrews to not throw away their confidence in Jesus Christ, but to keep their eyes focused on the end, right? Keep your eyes focused on the end. And remember how you took on such uh, persecution early on. And you said... I'm going to associate myself with those who are being mistreated. I'm going to associate myself with those who are, who are confiscating property. All of that. How would you encourage someone like that? Come on, what would you guys say? You guys wouldn't say anything. 
You got to just sit there and go like Job and his friends. Like, I don't know what to do. How are you going to keep them faithful? What are we going to do? Because the writer of Hebrews has built a case for Jesus as a better covenant all throughout the book of Hebrews. I mean, if it were me, and just me and them, just one-on-one, I'd be saying, you're doing such a good job. Keep working on what you're doing. Keep, keep your confidence up. And we do see the writer of Hebrews saying that, right? But I want you to turn with me real quick. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of chapter 12. Therefore, it's talking about the wall of faith before us, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let me tell you something. Outside of those first few verses, throwing off the sin that easily entangles us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the rest of that is not the type of encouragement I want to hear. How about you guys? You've been under persecution. You've had your property confiscated from you. You've had other things, bad things that have happened to you. And in verse 4, the writer of Hebrews says this, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Wow. Don't put that one on a t-shirt, do they? Let's see us all walking around with that one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 right there. You have, not, you have not resisted sin yet to the point of shedding your blood. That probably wouldn't sell very well, would it? How much encouragement does that give you in walking in your faith in Jesus Christ? 
You, you see, this seems very counterintuitive. They're going through so much, and the writer of Hebrews is almost like doubling down. Like, oh, you've only lost property. You haven't shed your blood yet. Nobody's beaten you. You're not, you know, some of you have been thrown into prison, but it's not that bad. Way to go. I feel really pumped, right? I'm ready to live for Jesus now that you've told me that, right? Verse 5, and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. On top of that, God's disciplining us. We're being punished. We're being persecuted. And that's discipline from God. And we should be rejoicing. Because he's building something in us so that we might share in his holiness. That sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? And yet it's exactly what happened with the disciples. Disciples get beaten by the Sanhedrin. They go back and they praise God that they were able to suffer dishonor for the name. It's weird people. And God's calling you and me to be those types of weird people. It seems so counterintuitive. Why? Why? Well, remember, if you know English, if there's a therefore, we need to know what the therefore is there for, which is the chapter before that, by faith, that whole wall of faith. Because there's lessons in that wall of faith that you and I look at and we recognize that this is written for them To understand the teaching that comes in chapter 12, which says, look, the shedding of blood, that hasn't happened with you yet. You haven't even resisted sin yet to the shedding of blood. I haven't, have you? I stumble bad enough without shedding my blood. So verse, excuse me, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, and this is where we start to see this wall of faith. Verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident of the things that we don't see. And anybody who comes in faith to God must believe that he exists and he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Do you notice that throughout the entirety of the book of Hebrews, the focus is always God-focused? Everything is about God. You want to keep faith? You look at God. You don't look at your circumstances. You look at God. You're being sure of what he's promised you. You're not sure of these things. You don't know what's going to happen here tomorrow, and neither do I. And that's why the writer of Hebrews continues to go back again and again and again. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, my eyes aren't here. If I believe that God exists and he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, then my eyes are not here, they're on God. It looks way different, right? Because I believe that he is doing something. 
has done something in Jesus and is doing something for me. What are those things? Let's take a look because Abraham is in the midst of all of this. Verse 13, after talking about Abraham, all these people, he's talked about Abraham, he's talked about Noah, he's talked about Abel, he's talked about uh, these patriarchs that have gone before. He says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. See, our home's not here. Jesus would say in John chapter 4, 14, excuse me, said, my father's house, there are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there, I will come back so that you can be where I am. They ask, Lord, how will we know the way to get there? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No man comes to the Father except through me. Where is the focus? The focus is on Jesus. The focus is on heavenly things. The focus is not here. Living for Jesus means looking above. And why is that important? Well, let's read through the rest of the wall of faith starting in verse 17. We're going to see some amazing things in the midst of all of this. Some lessons for you and I to take hold of. And understand why faith is a discipline. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when, when at the end of his, uh, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward, ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And after the people had marched around them for seven days, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she was welcomed, the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, we look at that wall of faith and we stand in awe of the things that happened by the patriarchs and the prophets and the former leaders of Israel who were faithful to God. We read that list and we want, it's like we're all in. We're saying we see people who were raised from the dead and people were healed and people were were given back and they were were delivered from the sword and all these awesome things that happened. And we're like, yeah, that's the type of faith I want. But it doesn't come without the other. And some were persecuted and they were destitute. They were thrown in prison. They were killed. They were sawn in two. See, that part of the faith we we don't want. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is referring back to the wall of faith because he's not writing to them talking about all the good times that they went through. He said, consider them, not just part of their lives, the whole of their lives, everything that happened and realize they are the patriarchs of faith for a reason because they stood firm to God, whether it was good, bad, or ugly. And you have not resisted yet to the shedding of your blood. See, we look with great fervor on those patriarchs of faith. But we don't want to walk in their footsteps. Because it's a discipline to be able to say, I'm standing for God. I'm standing for God, no matter what it costs me. I'm standing for God, despite, if I stand for God, I could lose my job. And we're starting to live in a society where that's a real possibility for some of you. If I stand for Christ, I'm going to lose my friends. If I stand for Christ, I could lose my family. If I stand for Christ, it's going to start costing me something beyond just a simple reputation. And we're beginning to live in those times. And as much as I would like to say, keep living for Jesus, keep doing that, I'm going to also be the one saying, think about how little you've suffered right now and how easy it is for you and I to give up on faith. Because that's what the writer of Hebrews does. 
Not because I want to be mean or cruel, but you know what? If I'm not preparing you, if the writing in the scripture doesn't prepare you that our eyes are supposed to be on Jesus, our eyes are supposed to be not on this world, but in the one to come, that our promise is there, we're going to get sucked in by all the junk that's here so that we don't have to deal with the persecution that comes with faith. That discipline that God wants to use in our lives to make us holy and more like Jesus. As Peter said last week, when we looked at about, when we looked back at first Peter, he who has, you know, suffered in his body is done with sin. And yet, how many of us have really suffered in our bodies because we're resisting sinning against God? I can't raise my hand, can you? Some of you may have. Most of us haven't. And unfortunately, for you and me, it's not just about being nice about what Jesus has done for us. It's recognizing that as reality. And that what he has for us is so much better than anything we're going to suffer here on earth. That he has promised a city for us. He's promised a mansion for us. He's promised a place where we were going to be with him forever. And it's worth whatever we go through here. Good and bad. You want to see the miracles of God, you have to practice the discipline of faith. Not just when things are good. You have to practice the discipline of faith when it gets hard. And when it gets hard, you go back to that wall of faith and you don't go back to the wall of faith to look at all the good stuff that happened. You go back to the wall of faith to gain inspiration of understanding that these people stood firm to the very end, not receiving the promises, but they trusted it all the same because God is true. That will help you stay in the faith. It's a publication that comes out called Voice of the Martyrs. Some of you are familiar with it. I'm sure many of you are. It talks about real persecution. It's happening to your brothers and sisters around Jesus. You know, their testimony for Jesus Christ around the world. It's important that we surround ourselves with stories of faithfulness for people who are truly suffering. People who have had limbs cut off or acid thrown on them. Become destitute and kicked out of their family with no money or food or anything. But you know what? The reproach of Jesus was worth it because they're holding on to the promise of faith. That what Jesus promised is going to come true. Therefore, I can endure all of these things. And you hear their testimonies and it should challenge you and me to our core. You know why? Because we don't suffer like that. And we are so easy to disregard Christ. And that may not be the encouragement you want to hear. We want to hear how we've been doing so good. But I want you to endure. And hearing how good we're doing doesn't necessarily mean we're going to endure. We get this false sense that if something bad happens to us, well then it must not be God's will. And there's nothing in the scripture that testifies to that. Especially the passages we've read just this last week. 
I want you to hold true to the end, but you're only going to do that when your eyes are focused and fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep our eyes on things above, not on things below, so that we will not grow weary and discouraged. Man, I want to hear about those suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ so that I might be encouraged that what I'm going through, come on, it really ain't that much. Even as bad as things are right now in our country, and they're worse, nobody's going to deny that. I certainly won't. You've heard it enough from me. But you know what we're not dealing with? We're not dealing with that type of persecution yet. We may yet. That may happen. And the only thing that's going to allow us to sustain our faith during that time is the discipline of faith that says, I'm focusing on Christ, his kingdom. What he offers is so much better than anything that is here on this earth. I am willing to suffer anything and everything for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he died for me. He rose for me that I might be with him forever in heaven. I look forward to the day that I get to be with him. And he will use this tough time right now to discipline me in my holiness that I might be more and more like Jesus. He's treating me as a son. That should be our reaction. And only when that's our reaction... Well, we have the discipline of faith strong enough to withstand those tests. But here's the thing about those tests that are that hard. It is only when our faith is tested in that way that we see those astounding miracles of God. The deliverance of Isaac happened because Abraham was faithful. If you go back to the Genesis passage, what's really cool in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, he's talking to his servants who have gone along with him and Isaac. He tells the servants, you guys stay here. Me and the boy are going over there to worship and we will come back. It's in the text. It's so cool when you recognize that, that the writer of Hebrews isn't saying something that the text actually doesn't say. The text says, we'll go over there, we're going to come back, and Abraham knows he's going to sacrifice his son. But he has confidence in God that he's going to raise him from the dead. You know why? Because he has the discipline of faith that not only will take the hard times, but will see the miracles that come as a result of it. You want to see miracles in your life through Jesus Christ? It takes the discipline of faith saying, I'm not going to let go of these promises of God as easily. I am going to hold on to them. It may cost me everything. It may cost me my job. It may cost me my family. It may cost me my property. It may cost me my life. But it doesn't matter because if I want to see the miracles of God in my life, I'm going to hold on to the discipline of faith because God is faithful. And that is the message of Hebrews. God is faithful. And he shows his faithfulness through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a faith worth holding on to. No matter what you're going through. And some of you today might be going through a hard time. Maybe a hard time based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. I will tell you what the Hebrew writer says. Hold on. 
Hold on. You may not even have suffered as great as you're going to suffer yet. You may not have suffered as hard as everybody else has. But if you'll hold on, you're going to see the glory of God. Because God always keeps his promises. And his promises are not for here on earth. They are forever to be with him. Forever in heaven. And it's worth it. It's worth every bit of it. And you exercise that discipline of faith. Oh, we'll start seeing God change the world around us. We'll start seeing God change the world around us. And isn't that the type of life-changing faith that when you and I first believed in Jesus, we thought that was going to happen? The beauty is it's still available to you and me. But let's hold on. Let's not give up so easily. Let's, let's not let the little things, and I'm sorry to say right now, they're little things, distract us from the great promises of God. Let's hold on tightly to Christ and recognize that he is so much better. And we may have yet to endure some great hardships, but in doing so, we're going to be disciplined into greater holiness and we're going to see the glory of God. Do stand with me. Like I said, counterintuitive, isn't it? Going through a hard time? Writer of Hebrews, well, at least you haven't shed your blood yet. You haven't suffered like our patriarchs have. That wall of faith isn't just not about all the great things that God had done. It's based upon the promise of God that he has sent his son and that someday he's coming back for everyone who believes in him because he's prepared a place for us together with him forever. That just like them and us, we receive that kingdom together. Is that not cool? And isn't that worth everything we might suffer here? If you don't know this Jesus or you've forgotten that type of faith, we invite you to come today to pray again and anew, to renew that, to allow God to discipline us, to go through the hard times and recognize God's going to use that for his glory, that we might see his glory through those things. I'm going to ask the elders to come on front. Those needs, any other needs, that you need a touch from the Lord, we we want you to come during this time as we're finishing up. Would you pray with us? God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the discipline of faith that you want exercised in every single person who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord. And God, I, I just pray that you would help us to remember That our faith is not predicated on just good times, but rather it's actually predicated on focusing on you, whether we are having good times, bad times, ugly times, and realizing that your promises in Jesus Christ are true. You have prepared a place for us that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life into this place that he's prepared for us. That me and you together, we are all going to be in heaven with you. And that's worth everything. So help us not lose heart and hope when things get hard here. 
Help us to take these things as discipline that you're teaching us to be more faithful still and make us more holy people before you, O God. May we glorify you and may you glorify yourself through our faithfulness that we would both see your faithfulness in our hard times and your glory and the miracles you want to work through that you will show yourself more faithful still. God, help us if we've forgotten that, Lord. And thank you for Jesus in whom we trust. Amen. Amen.